they have worked in Mexico and Cuba, and then they had the distinct privilege and pleasure to come and become the DS, the district superintendent for our district. We have a family of churches. We call them the Christian Missionary Alliance, or in more hip lingo now, we call it just the Alliance. And our district superintendent and his wife, Trisha Curtis and uh, Trisha, are coming today to share with us, to keep us in our um, outflow, to finish off our outflow series that we've been working on throughout February. Outflow is when we talk about what comes out of us. Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And we've taken that to say, out of the overflow of the heart, the life is lived. What is coming out of you, we believe, in living a life on mission. And to help us with that, uh, have Curtis and Tricia, at some point, they're both going to come. And we also have their kids, uh, Liam, Lucas, Micah with us today. Uh, would you, again, please don't, you don't ever have to clap for me, but when we have guests, can you welcome them, please? Well, good morning. We're going to call her up here in just a moment. Um, I, I am so thankful that she is here. She makes me look a lot better, so you will enjoy when she's up here, probably more than me. But anyway, it is just a delight to be here together. I uh, had a chance to be here a couple of years ago, right before the pandemic uh, struck, and so just great to be here again, to have my kids and, and wife with me, and uh, just to, to just celebrate the presence of Jesus among you. Just I remember that from the last time I was here, and again today, just the joy of, of worshiping together, sensing that Jesus is here. And he is pleased with you. He is uh, just delighting in you. And uh, just so wonderful to, to journey on this road trip, this, this journey of walking with Christ uh, together with you. Well, I've been reflecting this week a little bit on, on John chapter 17 and uh, Jesus' prayer, which some of you, I hope, will remember that is actually the passage that was up on the screen at the beginning that uh, is the passage where your name as a church was inspired from. And it's really Jesus' prayer for all believers that we would be perfected into one. And I find it striking that this is Jesus' longing for us, his longing for you as a church. In fact, they were his final prayers for us before he went to the cross. This passage was right before uh, he, he went through that, that agony. And you can imagine, I mean, here he was with this great agony and anguish in his heart, preparing for this impending suffering. And what is he praying about? Us being perfected into one. Makes me think that, that you have a fairly important vision as a church, <laughs> that Jesus is pleased with what you are doing here. And as uh, Pastor Graham has already alluded to, uh, I think in these current days, in light of the increasing polarization and conflict in our world, how much more do we need to lean into this longing of Jesus that we as his people would, in fact, be perfected into one and be instruments of, of bringing others into that family of peace as well along with us? 
You know, I mean, the, the news headlines can be dizzying. You know, we get through one crisis, protests, and, you know, all of these kinds of things, moving on to all that we're seeing today in Ukraine. There's been racial conflicts and uh, equality conflicts and so many things. can feel a little overwhelming at times, can't it? So again, if there's ever a time to join Jesus in his prayerful vision for you as a church, I think now is the time. So this morning, my wife and I would like to share with you a little bit about what it looks like or could look like for us to be perfected into one people who are united with Jesus in his mission. How we can find unity with one another through our unity with Christ, uh, both in his heart for people and also in his power to help them. Said another way, it is the outflow of our union with Christ that will give us compassion for people and the authority we need to release God's blessing in the world. And this is what unites us with one another. This is what enables us to be perfected into one when we are together united with Christ and together allowing the presence of Jesus to flow through us to bring his blessing to the people around us. It is this shared experience of Christ and this shared mission flowing out of his life in us that brings us together, even across the distance, across the the countries, as Pastor Graham has mentioned, those of you who are online, we are all together perfected into one through our shared experience of Jesus and his mission in the world. Again, we, we have a lot of different convictions. Some of us dress differently. We might like like different movies and music. Some of us might be vaccinated. Some of us might not be, but we're not going to talk about that. But it is our union with Jesus and our partnership with, with him on mission that truly unites us as one family. Trish is going to be unpacking a little bit more in a moment here what it means to be perfected or, or to be, uh, have union with Christ. And then we're going to take turns going back and forth talking about the outflow of that. I'll be talking a bit about the compassion that flows from being with Jesus, and she'll speak a little bit more about the authority that comes from being in union with Jesus. Uh, but first, I just want to read a passage. If you have a Bible, whether electronically or otherwise, feel free to open that. I'm going to read a little passage here from the end of Matthew chapter 9, starting at verse 35 to 38, and then continuing on at the beginning of chapter 10, uh, 1 through 8, in that range there. Um, yeah, this is uh, just, again, in the old, in the original version of the Bible, there were no chapter headings. They're put in there for our benefit to help us navigate a little bit. Uh, but really, this is one kind of seamless passage that goes together. So just going to read this, and then I'll invite uh, Trish to come and share a bit further. Yeah, sorry, Matthew chapter 9, starting at verse 35, for sure. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. 
The, these 12, um, verse 5, it says they, that Jesus sent them out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Amen. So we're just going to settle in on um, chapter 10, verse 1, just to start out. Um, like Curtis said, we're going to look just at this whole concept of union with Christ, or put another way, intimacy with him. I think there's a really key phrase in um, 10 verse 1. Jesus called the disciples to himself. Before they were sent out on mission, they were first called to him and to his personhood. Because the mission of Jesus always begins with a call to being with him first. Mission that doesn't flow from being with him and from his heart is a mission that reflects us, not him. Mission that is truly biblical and that reflects the heart of God comes out of union with Christ and leads to union with one another. The reality is, in the New Testament, this is something I've been sitting with this year and kind of studying and discovering a little bit more, is that there isn't really a picture of being a Christian apart from being with Christ. There is only the picture of being a part of Christ. If we zoom out even further, there isn't even really a biblical picture of what it means to be the people of God without walking closely with him and carrying his identity. If we think about the children of Israel and um, even what the, the words that the Lord spoke to Moses, um, he called himself, I am, and they were always to be identified as his people. Moses said to God, don't send us out from here if your presence is not going to go with us, because what but your presence will distinguish us among all the other nations of the world. It is his presence among us that is to be the thing that, that characterizes it. It is what makes us distinguishable, recognizable as Christ followers. Um, author Sinclair Ferguson writes that union with Christ is the basic way that Christians in the Bible were taught to think about themselves. When you look at the New Testament, the word Christian is only used three times, but 164 times, even in, in just Pauline literature, so in all the letters that Paul wrote, the words in him, in the Lord, and in Christ show up. So 164 verses three. Yet we walk around... Sorry, I think we lost it. Yeah. We walk around calling ourselves Christians, but it's easy for us to drop this part that our true identity is really found in the person of Christ. Um, it really is our primary identity to be followers of Christ. We are one with him. John Stott explains that to be with Christ or to be in Christ is not the same as being like a tool in a toolbox or to be a piece of clothing in a wardrobe. It's more organic than that. It's like the way my arm is connected to my body. We are one. Everything that is true of my body is true of my arm. The blood in my body flows through my arm. The DNA in my body is the DNA of my arm. And it, that is the same kind of dynamic union um, between Christ and his followers. What is true of Christ is true of us. Uh, Mike Plunkett says that union with Christ means that Christ has bound his life his resources, and his character to us. So everything that is true of Christ can be true of us too.
Our first call is to be one with Christ. So the sanctifying work of God then in our lives is not to make us look more like Christ, but to unite us more completely to him. So this shifts our focus from outward behavioral sort of modification. It's not just trying to bring things into line. It's making us into his very self. So when Pastor Graham talked earlier this morning about us being image bearers, it is perfecting, refining that, not just so that we appear like him in behavior, but we are like him at our very core. And this shifts so that when we walk into all our secondary callings, so first calling to be like Christ, and then we have all these secondary callings of how do we be missional? How do we love our families well? How do we work in the community? Um, How do we be a church? That all flows out of the first one. So if we know we are accepted, that we are loved, everything else we do comes from a place of acceptance, not in order to um, obtain that. So I'd encourage you to dig into the scriptures for yourself and see if you can find how many of those 164 times you can find. Um, And I'm sorry we didn't get PowerPoint um, together for you. I know that would be helpful, but it was a bit of a week. Um, So, but um, I just want to walk through just a few passages briefly briefly to give you an idea of what this union with Christ can look like. Um, So if any of you remember the whole sword drill thing, get your Bibles and be ready to go fast. Um, But Romans 6.3 talks about, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So what's true there? Christ died in our place. We don't have to. If you flip over to Colossians chapter 2 and 3 and 12, Paul writes about how we've been raised with Christ. Um, The victory of Christ is our victory. His resurrection is our resurrection. Um, Colossians 3.3, Paul says, you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Our independent, identifiable life was crucified, and we've been joined to Christ. So all our inadequacies, all our unrighteousness, all our failures are hidden with Christ's perfection and righteousness and holiness. When I think about what it means for us, it means we don't need to worry so much about our inadequacies, even our whole um, way of dealing with temptation. When we think that Christ overcame temptation, he's not just our model. His victory over temptation can be our victory over temptation. And his permanent seat at the right hand of God becomes our permanent seat at the right hand of God. So we don't need to jockey for positions. So even in community, we can live more united with each other because we all have a place at God's table. All of this is to say that when Jesus called his disciples to himself before sending them out on mission. He was signaling a truth of critical importance. He was saying that all life, all activity first flows from himself. Indeed, all of our identity flows from union with him. In Colossians 3, Paul uses the phrase, Christ who is your life. When we frame mission from a perspective of Christ being our life, everything shifts. The good news really becomes lived good news. Good news for the here and now, not just good news for some future date. And I think this is one of the weaknesses sometimes of our interpretation of our faith, is that we look at salvation as being something that secures future life for when we die. Um, But the life of Christ isn't only, it does not begin when we die, it begins now. The life of Christ is our life today. It is the life that can be applied to every single death that we confront. 
his comfort can be applied to every suffering, his authority to every challenge. I believe that one of our biggest hindrances to mission and to being a missional people is fear. We fear rejection, we fear saying the wrong thing, we fear offending people. We're afraid of being a social outcast, maybe. Um, but when we're truly in Christ, we move away from the fear of rejection, embrace this unwavering acceptance of us and extending that to others. We aren't afraid of saying the wrong thing because we have a right-sized version of who we are and what actually depends on us. We begin to hear the heart of the one who wants to speak through us, and God's compassionate heart becomes our compassionate heart. When we live in union with Christ, we experience the compassionate heart of God, and we are then marked by his compassion as well. So Curtis is going to talk about the first of two keys. When we move from union with Christ, then there are two outflows. One is living in compassion, and the other is living with authority. I'm not sure about you, but I think sometimes we can tend to spiritualize the gospel. So uh, thinking, you know, the only thing that God really cares about is our spirit or our soul, uh, perhaps our behavior, <laughs> get us into line. Uh, now, of course, Jesus is deeply concerned about our spirit, our spiritual life, and, and what we believe will have profound implications for how we live and behave. Uh, but as we saw in the passage I read earlier, and as we see throughout the Gospels, uh, Jesus was also profoundly concerned with people's physical needs. He was always healing them. Why? It says that because he had compassion on them. Uh, again, Matthew chapter 9 describes this as Jesus saw them as being harassed and helpless. Uh, many of them were sick, and, and they did not have doctors they could go to. And so it says that because of his compassion, he went through all of the villages healing their diseases. Anyone here ever felt a little overwhelmed or, or perhaps helpless? Uh, ever been sick? Perhaps concerned about catching a deadly virus that has killed, you know, millions of people around the world? Maybe a few of us. But the good news is that Jesus has compassion on you and me. This is absolutely critical for understanding of mission. We need to know that Jesus has compassion on us. Yes, he has compassion on everyone else, but he also has compassion on you and me. You see, we need to freely receive this, this compassion if we are going to freely give this compassion away to others. We simply cannot give what we have not first received. And so I believe that this morning, Jesus wants each of us to experience his compassion. Uh, Graham said that at the beginning. We're here to connect with God, to actually experience his compassion, his deep and tender love for each of us. He wants you to know that just as he saw the crowds, so also he sees you. He wants to comfort, to strengthen and encourage you in the midst of whatever challenges you are facing whether that's a health crisis, an economic difficulty, a relational challenge, or spiritual brokenness, uh, struggles with sin. Jesus doesn't condemn you for your weaknesses and your failures. Rather, he wants to, you to experience his compassion upon you. He wants you to freely receive that today. And Jesus also has compassion on everyone else. 
He cares deeply about all of the people in our world, those refugees who are fleeing the Ukraine, uh, those who are struggling with mental illness or other diseases, and who knows how many other difficulties. And that is why he invites you and I to be his instruments of healing to the people around us. He wants us to freely give what we have freely received. Again, as, as Trisha mentioned, this is the first lesson about outflow that we want to focus on this morning, that our union with Christ inevitably leads us into his compassion for the world. Why? Because the closer we get to the heart of Jesus, uh, the closer, or the, the more our hearts will break for the things that break his. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14 that the love of Christ compels us. And so the more time we spend in union with Christ, uh, the more we will be compelled to share that love with those we meet, especially those who may be harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, perhaps victims of injustice or abuse. Uh, maybe it's people impacted by poverty, mental illness, or debilitating disease. Maybe it's someone struggling with addiction or sin, or perhaps a people group around the world who has simply never had the opportunity to hear the beautiful name of Jesus. We simply cannot live in union with Jesus and not be stirred by his compassion for those he puts in our path. It's simply the outflow of those who have been with Jesus. Uh, I had the privilege of witnessing this outflow in my friends from Cuba as we lived there for a number of years as a family. And I can tell you I've never met people who, have loved, who love to pray as much as my dear brothers and sisters in Cuba. They're also extraordinarily joyful people, always joking around and laughing, even in the face of some very severe challenges that they face. Uh, I can tell you that this pandemic in particular has not been easy for them. Uh, at one point, I was hearing reports from my friend that they were actually eating fried banana peels because it was one of the only things they could find. Inflation here feels bad at about 5%. In Cuba, it reached 500% during the pandemic, with things costing five times more than they did before uh, without an increase in salary. And yet my friends in Cuba have come to know what it means to have union with Jesus. And they have been in his presence, and that allows them to experience his joy even in the midst of suffering. Not only that, but they actually give generously to those in need. They could just say, well, we need to receive compassion for ourselves, and, and they do, but they also have a passion to help those who may be even more in difficulty than themselves. Now, one church, for instance, decided to adopt a group of about 50 senior citizens from their community uh, who had basically no income, living in abject poverty. Every week, volunteers from the church would, would take their bicycle taxis, because they don't have cars, and they would go and pick these uh, seniors up from their homes bring them to the church and feed them a meal, teach them about Christ. These are people who weren't previously part of the church. They, they weren't Christians, and yet they quickly became followers of Jesus when they saw the love and compassion of Jesus in his followers. Uh, the volunteers would, would offer to cut their hair for them, they'd wash their laundry, go to their homes and clean their floors. You see, this is the compassion of Jesus at work in the lives of his people who have been in union with him. Like it says in Matthew, Jesus 
When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. And so the more we hang out with Jesus, the more we will have compassion for others as well. It's simply the outflow of union with Christ. Another key of living in union with Christ, another thing that would characterize our life as we live in the outflow is um, that we should be characterized as people of authority who walk with the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so if we look back at Matthew, the first part is that people are called to the person of Christ and then they're sent out, but they're sent out with his authority. There came a moment in my life I feel like I'm cutting in and out. Is that true or is that just my perception? Okay, would somebody pray for my ears? <laughs> my hearing is getting patchy. Um, no, just in our time in Mexico and Cuba, um, I started to realize that there was a gap between what I saw in the Gospels and what I saw in my life. Um, I wanted to really represent the living God, and to carry his power with me where I went. But I felt like so much of my missionary journey was based on my effort um, and on me trying harder. So I've spent the last you know, six or seven years probably asking God for a deeper understanding of authority, for a deeper outpouring, and a deeper work of his spirit in me to develop the kind of character that it's um, that I think is necessary to sustain the authority because when I look at myself and the authority of Christ, I also see a gap between my character and his. Um, so, I, yeah, mostly <laughs> I was kind of tired and discouraged and feeling like I just wasn't seeing the life of Christ at work in me. Uh, so that triggered a journey for me where I've been really exploring what does it mean, what is authority, how do we develop in it, and what does it mean to live out of that. Authority is essentially the permission to use someone else's power. So when a police officer stands up with a stop sign or um, a radar gun, as uh, we apparently passed the test because we weren't late for getting a speeding ticket today, um, we were within an acceptable margin. Um, but the police officer... <laughs> My dad was a police officer, and he, he taught me a few, like, very slim margins. Dad, I'm sorry if you're listening. Um, yeah. But when the police officer stands up with his stop sign, it's not his own authority. He's standing up there with the whole authority of the state behind him. Now we're seeing that some of these things are beginning to be challenged in our world. But he's not using his own individual power. He's using the authority of a whole organization, a whole state behind him. And we too, when we walk in the authority of Christ, we aren't using our own power, we're representing something else that is much larger than us. Um, but I would suggest that the Christian life without authority is the same as mission without intimacy. It runs the risk of becoming very religious very quickly. And there aren't enough, Jesus was always confronting religious systems. He did not want to develop a, a bunch of leaders who were religious leaders. He wanted disciples who would um, develop the kingdom, who would understand his compassion, understand his authority, and move in those things. Um, interestingly, the word that is translated authority is the Greek word exousia, which comes from two words, ex, which means out of, and ousia, which means being. So, Authority means literally out of being, 
And I think this is so fascinating, that when we walk with authority, it is out of the very being of God, it is out of being with him, and we are sent out with the being of Christ characterizing us. We can see parallels here. If you want to flip over to Matthew 28 in your Bible or look it up fast if you've got it on your phone, um, the Great Commission at the end of Matthew 28, um, verse 18 and 19 says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. So we see a connection, too, in how the disciples are sent out immediately, kind of in their training, and how they're commissioned, that there's this link between authority, between intimacy. Jesus says, here's my authority. Now go, and P.S., I'm coming along with you on this road trip. You're not going alone. Um, Authority should never, ever be divorced from walking with God. Um, this, this is where lives and ministries go off the rails, is when people think that they can pick up authority and not carry it with the compassion and um, the closeness and the ever-present voice of, of um, the Spirit of God guiding us. But when God sends us out with his, with his authority, what he's sending us out to do is to reclaim what was lost. When Adam and Eve gave over their authority, essentially, to the enemy, um, it turned a whole bunch of things in the, creative, in the created order. And God is sending them out to reclaim what was lost. And I would love, I cut pages and pages out of my sermon because there's so many fun things that we could talk about, about paralleling you know, the Genesis account and the Great Commission and the ways that these all link, but that would have to be another time. So we're just going to try to stick to our passage. Curtis always makes fun of me because I just want to like throw my notes away and just talk, um, but then we'll be here for a really long time. So out of the compassion of Jesus, I'm going to speak (laughs) from my notes. Um, So if you flip back to Matthew 10 and look at verses 7 and 8, that's just where we're going to camp out for a little bit and um, primarily move into some story that will illustrate this. Um, But verse 7 and 8 says, as you go proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Kingdom mission has this perspective that the kingdom of heaven has already come near. This is not a future thing that we will only see when we die. This is breaking in now among us, and we are invited into it. Kingdom kingdom mission is the thief's mission in reverse. So where Satan has come to steal and kill and destroy, to plague people's bodies and minds and souls, Jesus gave his his followers authority to take those spaces back for the kingdom, to restore the whole person back to peace and wholeness under the lordship of Christ. So where people suffer from sickness, Jesus came to heal. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Jesus looks upon our physical conditions with compassion, and he heals every kind of sickness. For some mysterious reason, he doesn't always heal. And like Pastor Graham was talking about earlier, There is suffering in our life with Christ. But when he doesn't heal us, we continue to lean on his compassion. We lean on his presence with us. As you go proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy. Where people in the New Testament had leprosy in the ancient Near East, 
it meant that they were social outcasts. They were cut off from community life. They had to walk around yelling ahead of themselves, unclean, unclean. Can you imagine what that would do for your sense of self, for your identity? Before anybody hears your name, they hear that you do not belong to community life. Jesus came to reverse those kinds of things. That's why he cared so much about laying hands on people, because he was restoring them back into community. He was saying, you are not untouchable. It used to be in the Old Testament that the clean was threatened by the unclean, but in the New Testament, the clean sanctifies the unclean. That's the kind of authority we have. That's why Jesus goes to not just deal with the outer person, but the inner person. The kingdom of God is here among us, and it declares that what is broken is restored, what was uh, rejected is accepted. Will we do the same in parts of society where people are declared unclean, where people are dealing with their hearts that have gone numb? Will we be the healing hands of Jesus? Friends, I think authority is about standing firm on the truth of God's word that his kingdom has broken in among us and taking up that power of the eternal God um, to see more and more of his mission realized. Um, but as uh, author Jordan Sang would say, who wrote this really interesting book that's been challenging me lately called Miracle Work, he says, if you want to grow in authority, you're going to need to obey more. Um, one of the first times God asked us to pray for healing as a couple I didn't feel like I had any idea what to do. I knew how to pray kind of wimpy prayers, for lack of a better term. I think I was well-practiced at that. But we were at a conference, and there was this speaker. He was this big, big guy. He makes uh, Graham look like he's a guy. Um, he was a tall man with a bigger voice, and I don't know, probably 6'4 or something. And um, all I remember is that when God asked me to lay hands on him, I had to reach up um, so he was supposed to be the conference speaker, and he was this really anointed man, but he lost his voice completely. He didn't even have a peep. Like, he would open his mouth, and it was like nothing was left. So we had this little intermission between um, speakers, and we felt like we need to go pray for this guy. Um, and when we got close to him and said, hey, we'd like to pray for you, if that's okay, God said, I want you to lay hands on his throat. And I'm like, oh, no, God, I'm sorry. You don't understand. I don't do that kind of thing. Like, I don't stick my hands on other people's throats. And God's like, well, you do now. I'm like, okay, I do now. So um, laid hands on his throat. And then I started praying some really eloquent prayer, like, God, I have no idea what I'm supposed to pray right now. I don't know how to pray for somebody's healing, but I know you know. I'm not a healer, but you are. And this guy opened up his mouth, and he started to prophesy over us in a language that wasn't Spanish. Like, I know it, what Spanish sounds like, more or less. But he started prophesying over us in another language, and he had this big, booming voice. And I was like, whoa, I need to update my understanding of what God does and what he wants to do here. So I've been, that was kind of one of the earlier points on my journey. A lot of my journey in learning to walk in the authority of God has been in the um, science experiment of my own life. I've had um, definitely significant and chronic health challenges, but one where um, frequently I would get migraines. I have, you know, maybe 15 migraines days a month, which affects your productivity, affects your ability to, to be a good mom, um, affects your ability to work. 
it, it was definitely a challenge. So I had my little safety routines so that when a migraine started coming on, I had about 60 seconds to act pretty quick. And if I didn't act quickly, then I could be out for half the month. Um, and one day, a migraine was starting, and I felt like as I was, you know, hurrying to do my little song and dance routine to try to stay in migraine land, Jesus said, I don't want you to do that anymore. I want you to bring your migraines under my authority. I'm like, well, Jesus, I don't really know what that means. And that re represents a significant risk for me. If you don't come through, I'm down. Um, but I, I started thinking through scriptures that I've memorized that say that Jesus is the name that it's above every name. And when he was seated at the right hand of the Father, everything is under his feet, that every power and dominion and every title that can be given is under his feet. So I decided to take the risk, and I prayed, and I said, Jesus, I put this migraine under your authority, and I'm trusting completely in you, and it went away. Um, and that afternoon when it started coming back, I said the same thing. I said, Jesus, I bring this migraine under your authority, and it went away. And that night when it started coming back, same thing. So it would just become this, this daily walking out of what does it mean to moment by moment rely on Jesus. And there were some times where it wouldn't happen that fast, and I would just need to sit and worship and um, lean into a little more. There were some times where I would lean into his authority and Jesus would say, you know what, this time I want you to take medication and you're going to feel something, but I'm going to take the sting out of it. And it's just been this learning to walk with him. Um, but I went from basically half my life being in migraine land to it's a rare occasion now that I have a migraine. And that to me has been a, a really significant training ground for me to learn what does it mean practically to see the lordship of Christ in every area of my life. Um, but I can tell you one thing. The, the fruit of it is not so much productivity for me. The fruit of it is not so much presence and being able to be around more and uh, able to care for my family more. The reality is I have a different picture of the immediacy of the care and the compassion of God that I can call on him and he can answer that fast because something as small as migraines matters to him. Yeah, absolutely. Praise God. Yeah. There's a story told of St. Francis of Assisi who was visiting the Pope, um, and he was showing him a cathedral in all its beauty. And the Pope was demonstrating the wealth, and opulence, and beauty of, of the cathedral. Um, and St. Francis said to the Pope, you may now have silver and gold, but you can no longer say, rise, pick up your bed, and walk. Not all power, friends, is created equally. I don't want us to be the kind of church where we say, God has given us beautiful places, but we've lost the power. To be people who are on mission now, to be, we need to be people who are more concerned with the power of God, with earthly powers, because as we're seeing unfold in our world, earthly powers corrupt, and earthly powers hurt other people. But the world desperately needs the power of God. So we want well-reasoned faith, but I'm convinced it's not argument that's going to bring people to Christ. It's a demonstration of his power. It's a demonstration of his compassion. It's a demonstration of people walking closely with him. Um, we've received freely, and we want to give freely. Um, so to that end, I just want to close with a couple quick stories of ways that I'm 
now that we're off the mission field, I'm needing to reframe what does mission look like? What does it look like in a North American context? What does it look like um, to learn to walk with him? So two weeks ago, I met a young man named um, Moses. He's, I think, 25, 26, and he has been in multiple car accidents. Um, some, I think, have been due to some decisions he's made. Um, but he asked for because he was suffering from some pretty chronic pain. Um, and as I was praying for him, it became really clear that Jesus wasn't only concerned about his back, but he was really concerned about the state of this guy's heart, that he really wanted him to be, walk closely with him. Um, God invited Moses into this deeper unity with himself, um, but Moses was kind of hesitant. So when we dug under that, um, we realized he was carrying a lot of burdens. He came from a ministry family, and he was expected to take over and really to save his his people. We said, well, it's not insignificant what your name is and what some of the burdens are that you're feeling. Um, but the funny thing was, as we were lifting, some of this stuff off of him, he just felt this flash of light go down his spine. Um, and all of a sudden, he gained back all this mobility that he hadn't had for years. And we weren't even praying about his back yet. Um, when we spent some more time specifically praying for his back, he felt bones move. Um, and his level of pain went right down. But the interesting thing is that he realized, he received from God the affirmation of, of who he was, and he was able to not only lay down um, unhealthy burdens, but walk into deeper unity with Christ and receive healing. That, to me, is such a picture of how God works, that the good news for the whole person. Um, last week, I was working with a lady who was experiencing some significant symptoms of demonization. Um, so she had grown up experiencing abuse and abandonment, and um, she suffered from depression and shame and had um, attempted suicide multiple occasions and was, you know, kind of walking in victory but really suffering in significant ways. Um, despite being a faithful attender and a mature believer. So we were um, just waiting on the Lord and there was this evil spirit that kind of came up that was lying to her and tormenting her and the spirit said that his mission was to lie to her about her worth that his whole purpose was just to deceive her about who she was in Christ so when we ask the Holy Spirit to reveal truth in place of this whole litany of lies that she's not worth anything that she's garbage that nobody wants her that she's not welcome I think the lie was she was not welcome anywhere in the world um, what a heavy burden to walk under. So we asked Jesus, what do you want to speak into this? Um, and he gave her this beautiful picture of her being this little girl, and he just picked her up and carried her close to his heart. And this intercessor who was on the call had a picture of her being like a baby tucked in one of those little snugglies. Um, I know when I was a mom, I just loved carrying my kids close to my heart. Well, I still am a mom, but when they were like not bigger than me, I used to carry them close to my heart. And it was just this beautiful picture. Um, so then out of that, I asked, are you willing to partner with the truth that God has spoken over you and to renounce some of these lies? And the spirit just like screamed out, no! We all were like, whoa. <laughs> um, and she said, yes, I am willing to stand against that voice. And it was this moment where we realized the stakes that the enemy has in keeping us under lies and keeping us deceived because that robs us of intimacy. It robs us of understanding the compassion of God. It robs us from understanding how do we walk in his authority. The good shepherd laid down his life for us. He carries us in his arms. He longs for our freedom. 
This is the kingdom of God. As you go proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have received, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely give. Jesus this week was leaning on that phrase, raise the dead, and I'm like, I have no on raising the dead, and he's like, there's one. Um, and I was thinking about, then he immediately brought a story to mind, and I was like, oh, Jesus, you are good. Um, and I just want to be clear, I'm not sharing stories because I have stuff together. I'm sharing stories from a place of weakness. I'm just, we're just in this together. Jesus and I are experimenting. We're I have good friends who pray for me. We're talking this stuff through. We're trying to experiment. What does it look like to be on mission here and now? Um, But last year, I was in a class, an online class, because it was COVID, so we were all locked out of everywhere. And um, my friend's mother texted me in the morning to say that uh, her daughter was going into labor. And everything was good, uh, but because of COVID, her mom couldn't be with her. Um, So I was in class and just kind of praying for her in the background or any spaces. But shortly after 1 o'clock in the middle of class, this wait to pray for her came out of nowhere. And I had to sign off the call. I was just like, I have to pray for my friend right now. I had this overwhelming sense of urgency, of need to pray. um, Because I had this picture, and it was like it was right in front of me of this newborn, but the baby was blue. I've had kids go blue before, but not like this blue. Um, and the baby had this cord wrapped around his neck three times. And God said, there is a curse over that baby, and you need to pray that curse off now. Um, so my friend had done missions work in Ethiopia for a few years, and she was an amazing man from there. And God said that somebody had put a curse over their firstborn son, that he was to die. Um, And I leaned into the heart of God who said, that's not my plan for this little one. I have a different plan. So I prayed until the weight lifted. And I saw this picture of Jesus come and just unwrap the cord from around the baby's neck and hand it, hand the baby to my friend. And the baby was crying and healthy at that point. So then I signed back on to class. Um, And later on, I got a text from my friend's mom who said, the delivery went smoothly, all is well. And I thought, huh, that's funny. Expected a slightly more dramatic text, but who knows? Uh, you know, maybe maybe that was nothing. Um, a few weeks later, my friend emailed me, and she said her baby just about didn't make it. She said there was an emergency, and um, the baby had no oxygen, and the delivery room was in panic. Um, nobody knew what to do, and the doctor told her afterwards he had no idea what changed. He said he didn't think that there was any possibility for survival. That's the point where I told my friend what I sensed in prayer. God is vested in his children and in his children's children. He wants to break the power of darkness, but he wants all of us, in all of our weakness and our questioning and our lack of understanding, to partner with him in all of his strength. That's what union looks like. It's not our strength. It's not our knowledge. It's his we need to learn to grow in intimacy with him so when he speaks to us, we hear him. We need to grow in our understanding of the authority he's given so we can take it up and use it for the benefit of others. Um, God has given us his authority. He's given us his very spirit, the spirit who reveals the heart of the Father. And God, for some reason, just loves partnering with us so much so that he entrusts us 
with himself. He calls us to be with him, to learn who he is, and to share with him in his mission, to redeem, to heal, and to restore. It's the kind of mission I want to get behind. I wonder if you're with me on that. Yeah. Um. I told you she makes me look good, doesn't she? Well, we have reached another checkpoint on our road trip with Christ. And uh, Graham was sharing with me a little bit about some of your uh, liturgy of how you walk through this. And I thought that was beautiful. Uh, another opportunity to remember, to reevaluate, and to refocus. And uh, first of all, it's a chance for us to remember all that we have received in union with Christ. Uh, to remember that he does have compassion on you and me. Uh, that he has freely given us his tender love. He has forgiven all of our sins. And also to remember that we have been seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, that he has given us his authority to be instruments of his healing and blessing in the world. Uh, for me, uh, hearing Trisha share that story from Cuba, that man began to prophesy over us after we had prayed, uh, was a good reminder for me as he was speaking in this, this other language, and then he interpreted what God was saying to him for me. And uh, his words, God's words to me through him were, Curtis, I have brought you to Cuba to give you my authority. And then he said, you need to take it, take it, take it. <laughs> and I was like, I take it. And that was a pivotal moment in my life. Uh, and I've been reminded afresh today and this week as we were talking about these things that I am called to take up the authority of Jesus and bring his presence into every situation that I face. How about you? Is there anything you need to remember today? This is also a chance for us to reevaluate. Where are we at on our journey with Jesus? Are there any ways where we have strayed off the path? Uh, ways where perhaps we have failed to freely receive his love for us? Ways perhaps where we have freely, uh, failed to freely give that love away? Uh, perhaps ways where we've been more focused on our own problems rather than reflecting on how we might be as part of the solution to someone else's. Finally, it's a chance to refocus ourselves on our shared union with Jesus and also our shared mission as those who are being perfected into one people, united to bring the blessing of Jesus to the world. This is what we are doing when we participate in what we call communion, or the Lord's Supper. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. That is why we uh, eat this bread, or whatever we call this thing that we, <laughs> you know, the COVID protocols, it's not quite the same as bread. I think the, you know, the, the Last Supper probably tasted a little bit better for the disciples with Jesus. Uh, but this is why we do this. It's why we drink this cup. It's an act of remembrance that because, of, because his body was broken and his blood was shed, you and I can now be perfected into one people, united with Christ and on mission with him to the world. So if that's your desire today, uh, if you want to be part of that family, and if, if you are part of that family, you are welcome to join with us, whether you're online at home or here on church on Main Street. Uh, just invite you to take your, your elements here. If you're at home, grab whatever you can. 
And uh, I'm going to take a moment to pray for the bread, and uh, then after we partake together, uh, Trish will come and pray for the cup. So let's just say a word of prayer together. Dear Jesus, we are just so thankful this morning for this reminder that you love us, that you came to this world for us, to give yourself for us, to let your body be broken for us, because you have compassion on us. You see the struggles. You see the challenges. You see the length of time that this pandemic has worn on. You see the economic crises and the health crises, the relational crises. You see the war waging, raging around the world. You see all of the uncertainty in our lives, and you have compassion on us and on those around us and on those in other parts of the world where there's even greater danger. And so we just take this moment to remember, to, to reflect on where we're at on our journey and to remember that you have given yourself for us, that we might live out of the fullness of your life, that as we uh, partake of this bread, it's like we are taking in the very presence of Jesus. We are being connected to you like our arm is connected to the body. We are just becoming part of Christ and you part of us and, and, and in this beautiful mystical union, we receive everything we need. We receive your compassion, your love, and your authority to go out and make a difference in the world. And so we partake with gratitude and we give you thanks. In your precious name we pray. Amen. See if I can Let's partake together. Let's pray for the cup. Lord Jesus, we love you. Your life is our life. Thank you so much that your death on the cross stands in place of um, the death that was needed, that, that our sin demanded. Thank you that your life becomes our life. We confess afresh our need for you, our need for um, you to be our life. And we give you thanks that that is true, that Christ, who is our life, has appeared, and we can appear with you in glory. Would you unite our hearts more and more to your life, to your heart, as we drink this cup? Yes, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.